Hey everyone, my name is David. Great to be here with you and open the Word of God. Uh, as we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. Uh, we thank you that you teach us through it and that you encourage our hearts. And we pray today as uh, we hear it preached, uh, Lord, that you would grow us as your followers and fill us with joy and peace and hope uh, in believing in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, being on the right side of history is a phrase I'm sure you've heard before. Uh, it comes up when there's opposing views on an issue uh, and there's a right side and a wrong side, uh, but you don't know who is right at the time, uh, but you find out eventually. Uh, an example of this from the past is slavery. Uh, there were people for and against slavery, uh, and they both thought they were right at the time, but of course, uh, we can look back on it now and we can know who was right. And so we all want to be on the right side of history, I think. We all want to know we've made the right choices in our life. And I think particularly, uh, we should all want to be on the right side at the end of history, right? to have made the right choices about God uh, and eternal things. Now, uh, for people who think um, that we, we came from nowhere and we're going nowhere, you know, that life is just you know, a big show about nothing, um, this question might not matter too much. Uh, but the Bible speaks about history, you know, not as just a, a series of meaningless events, uh, but an, a purposeful, unfolding storyline that is heading toward a definite end uh, where we all stand before God, our Creator and Judge, and He tells us, who is right? And so the question for us is, how can we be on the right side at the end of history? Well, there's another uh, story from the past that can help us answer that, and it's in our Bible reading today, uh, from 2 Samuel. You see, at the start of chapter 3, uh, where we come to today, uh, there are two sides. There are two kings. Uh, there are two houses at war. Uh, so on the one side, you can see here on this graphic, we have the house of Saul, uh, where Ishbosheth is king, uh, and Abner is his military commander of, you know, of his armies. And we're going to hear more about Abner today. Uh, but what had happened here is Abner, after the death of Saul, who was the previous king, uh, he had taken Ishbosheth and made him king. And so now he ruled over 11 tribes of Israel. And then on the other side uh, is the house of David. David was king, uh, the, his military commander was Joab, we're going to hear more about Joab today as well, and at this stage he ruled o uh, over only one tribe. And so then at the start of chapter 3 we read, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And then if we skip ahead a few chapters, by the time we come to the start of chapter 5, we read, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. They anointed David king over Israel. So between chapter 3 and chapter 5, uh, we are seeing how this happened, right? How David's house uh, grew stronger and stronger while Saul's grew weaker and weaker, and how to be on David's side meant to be on the right side of history. 
And so we're going to see this, uh, this story unfolding in three episodes. Uh, so the first episode is this. Uh, this is the one that Evan read for us, Abner's defection. And so we, we read there that Abner and Ishbosheth uh, had a falling out. And so Abner switches sides and he says this. He says, May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. All right, now this is an amazing thing to say that Abner says here. Uh, see, Abner, he knows God's promise to make David king. And now he's switching sides to make that happen. Right, that sounds pretty good. And what we see is uh, that maybe it is not as good as we think. Right, listen to the message that David sends, uh, that Abner sends to David in Hebron. He says this. He says, whose land is it? Make an agreement with me and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Now, you've got to see what he's saying here. He's saying, in other words, who has the power over Israel at the moment? And Abner's saying, I do. Uh, who, has, who can bring Israel over to you and make you king? Abner's saying, I can. But right? he's acting as if, you know, he is the key to God's promise. Uh, in many ways, acting as if he is God. Right? You, you can't get more arrogant and proud than that. And we see in, this, in, in 2 Samuel, Abner only uses God's promise when it suits him. Uh, previously, he had totally rejected God's promise when he made Ishbosheth the king. Um, and now, because that hasn't worked out, uh, he's switching sides and he wants to make David king, uh, trying to cut a deal with David, get a seat at his table. And so you think, how proud, how arrogant. And astonishingly, what we see is that David agrees with Abner. And I think what we're seeing here is, is just the kindness of God's king. Uh, we're seeing how he works for peace, that God's kingdom is a kingdom uh, of peacefulness. And so now David sends Abner away in peace. That was the end of our reading. Uh, and it looks as though God's promise to David is going to be fulfilled. Uh, but there is a twist to the story. And we see that in the next episode, Joab's Revenge. Now, uh, reminder, Joab is, he's the Abner of David's house. Uh, he's the commander of David's armies. And there's a bit of history between Joab and Abner that we need to know about. And that is that uh, uh, Abner, got to get the names right, Abner had killed Joab's brother in battle. We just read that in uh, uh, the last chapter last week. And so now Joab, he returns to Hebron to find that, you know, his enemy, Abner, who killed his brother, he's come to David and he's gone in peace. David has sent him away in peace and Joab can just not believe that David would do such a thing. Right, so he takes matters into his own, own hands. Uh, Joab sends messengers to go and sort of catch Abner and say, you know, come back, we're going to tell you something else. Uh, and so Abner comes back to Hebron and this is what happens to him. Now, when Abner returned to Hebron, 
Joab took him aside into an inner chamber as if to speak with him privately and there to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. And so when David hears uh, what uh, Joab has done, uh, he cannot believe that he would do that. You see, because, you know, Joab's brother, he had died in battle. You know, he was a casualty of war. Uh, But here, Joab has killed Abner in peacetime. And even worse than that, uh, it's under David's promise of peace in the name of King David. You see, Joab here, he's he's acted in the name of his king, uh, but he has not acted in line with the heart of his king. And so what David does after this, he wants to make it really clear that Joab's acted on his own, that he's not serving uh, the king's interests. And so Joab, uh, David curses Joab and he, he has a, a public funeral mourning for Abner. And so this is what the people see when they look at, at what David has done. They say, so on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. And so now uh, Abner is dead. Uh, how is the promise to David going to be fulfilled? Because Abner was going to bring Israel over to David and now he's gone. So how is this going to happen? Well, we find out in our third and final episode. Uh, this is Ish-bosheth's assassination. Try saying that five times fast. Uh, that is a challenge. ish Bosheth's assassination. Now here, uh, when when Ishbosheth, remember he's the king of over Israel, when he hears about Abner's death, uh, he lost courage, or literally, uh, his hands dropped. Okay, he's just he just lost all of his strength. He's just given up. And what we're seeing here is that the house of Saul has grown completely weak. And so, as is the case, uh, often in, in times of war, uh, some people see this as an opportunity for themselves to gain some power. Uh, and so, two men uh, decide um, that this is their opportunity. Uh, two men, they go and they find Ishbosheth, who's having a kind of a noonday nap in his house, uh, and they kill him. And worse than that, they take his head and they travel all night to David in Hebron, and they come before him uh, to tell him what they've done. And this is what they say. Uh, they say to David, here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. This day the Lord has avenged my Lord the King against Saul and his offspring. And so the way that they see it as they're talking to David is they see that they have done the Lord's work Uh, that this is God's punishment upon Saul uh, for the way that he treated David and they have killed Saul's son. Haven't we done a good thing? You know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We should be rewarded for this. Uh, But David sees things differently uh, and and rightly. Uh, This is not good news. Uh, This is a sinful act. And In God's kingdom, uh, there is no reward for sin. Uh, There is only punishment, only justice. And so David has these two men killed. 
and he takes the head of Ishbosheth and he buries it with Abner. And so that is how the war between the house of Saul and the house of David ended. The next thing we see is that all of Israel are coming over to David to make David the king. And so we see here that David's house was on the right side of history. And so what is the difference between these two houses? Well, the difference was God's promise. You see, God had promised to take uh, the kingdom from the house of Saul uh, and give it to David and his house. Uh, That is why David grew stronger and stronger and Saul weaker and weaker. Uh, Because God was working out his promise to David. That's why David's house was on the right side of history, uh, because it was the side of God's promise. And now, if you think back, you know, over the events of this chapter, uh, some pretty horrible things happened. And so that raises, I think, a pretty big question, uh, which is, did God cause these things to happen to make David king? And so as we reflect upon this, the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign over all people, uh, tells us he's sovereign over kings. Proverbs 21 says... The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is not just sovereign over kings, but also all people. I read in Proverbs 16. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so that means that, yes, uh, everything that happened today in the passages that we read and, and heard happened according to the will of God to fulfill his promises to David. And so you've got to ask, how can God do those things and not be guilty of sin? Well, the answer is that God uh, can sovereignly will that people sin uh, without himself uh, being guilty of sin and without excusing those who sin. I'll say that again, Uh, God can sovereignly will that people sin uh, without himself sinning and without excusing those who sin. All right, we see this really clearly in the Gospels uh, with Judas who betrays Jesus, the Son of God. And so Jesus tells us this way, in one verse he puts these two things together. He says, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So Judas betrayed Jesus on the one hand. It was uh, as it was written. It was according to the will of God. Uh, But also, woe to that man uh, because he will uh, face the guilt of his sin. He will be condemned by God for his sin. And so we see here that God is absolutely sovereign over the sinful actions of every human being as he works out his promises. And look, that's how do you feel about that? It's really confronting and, and sometimes it can be really confusing. But I want you to see that ultimately uh, it is really good news. Uh, it is good news that God is sovereign over sin because 
What it means is that the sinful actions of people do not have the last say, but they only ever, always serve the purposes of God. What that means is that nothing can stop God from doing what he promises. And so how should we, as we think about this this great God and as we hear his promises, uh, how should we be thinking about and responding to God's promises? And look, David is a great example for us from this passage uh, because did you notice uh, where David was throughout all those episodes? David was in Hebron. Now, that is the place where God had told him to go last week. Uh, He was there and he stayed there. And we get an insight into kind of what he was thinking and where his heart was at uh, when those two men come to him with Ishbosheth's head after killing him. Uh, They give us an insight into, into his heart. And this is what David said to them. He said, As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble. Uh, Then he gives his judgment. Uh, But those lines tell us what David was thinking and feeling through this time. Uh, One commentator said uh, this verse really describes David's whole life, his whole attitude to life. You know, you, you might read back in 1 Samuel when David was a shepherd boy and God delivered him from lions and bears. Or when David fought Goliath, God delivered him from that battle. Or when David was on the run from King Saul as he tried to kill him, God delivered him. And so what is David doing in Hebron? Well, he was waiting and trusting that God would deliver him again. David knew that the path to the throne, the thing that God had promised, was not going to come through sin. Uh, It was going to come uh, by obedience to the will of God. And so, you know, really David's heart points us to Jesus and his heart and how he lived. Uh, Jesus, we see in his whole life, was obedient to the will of the Father, uh, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, We see Jesus praying in the garden the night before he died, uh, not my will, but your will be done. And we know what happened. God raised Jesus from the dead, gave him the place uh, above all other places, the highest place as king over all forevermore. And you see, you know, God's promise to David was that he would build his kingdom. And God's promise to Jesus and all who trust in him is that he will build his kingdom today. And so the history that we are a part of right now uh, is God fulfilling that promise. Uh, God is working out that promise in history as it unfolds today. And so we see history is not just this series of meaningless, aimless events. It's just going to keep going on and on until the sun explodes. No, history is God sovereignly working out his promises toward a definite end. And until that day, until that final day, uh, like David's kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Jesus is growing stronger and stronger all the time uh, because God is building his kingdom. God is making and growing disciples 
He's always transferring people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And he's transforming those people to be more and more like Jesus. This is the wonderful work that God is doing right now in history, working out his promises. And so what should our response be to this promise? We'll finish as we think about this. What is our response to the promise of God? Well, we need to get on the side of God's promise, which means we need to get on the side of God's King, Jesus. And Jesus made that really clear for us in that parable that we read. Uh, There are two builders. One of them builds their house on the sand. The other builds their house upon the rock. So people who build their house on the sand, they are like those people who hear the promise of God. They hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe they reject it completely. You know, like Abner, they hear the promise, they ignore it and don't live according to that. Or maybe like Abner, when it suits them, uh, they use the promise of God for their own advantage. Or maybe they are kind of like Joab where they hear the promise and they say that they serve the king, but they really serve are their own purposes and their hearts are not aligned with the heart of the king. And Jesus has a warning for people like this. He says, a storm is coming and your house is going to fall. And what is coming for you at the end of history is, is really the most dreadful words that anyone could ever hear from King Jesus. I read them in that parable, or just before the parable. It said, Jesus saying, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, you know, we are all these people at some point in our life, but we need to know that now is the time of God's patience and kindness. As he builds his kingdom, there is time for everybody to repent and to come to him for forgiveness. There is time for all of us to build our house on the rock that is Jesus. And that is the other builder. And that means to hear the promise of God in the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life, and to believe that promise. That means to to listen to Jesus, to hear his word, to know his heart, and to align ourselves with him, to align ourselves with his heart, and do what he loves, and to listen to his word and be obedient to his word. And as we do that, we are always trusting the will of God, trusting that God is doing what he promised to do, and it is good. And so to be on the right side of history is to be on the side of God's promise, to be on the side of God's King Jesus And the wonderful thing about this is that uh, at the end of history, when all is said and done, uh, you can be sure that you will hear uh, not the worst words anyone could ever hear, but the most wonderful words that anyone could ever hear. And they come to us at the end of Matthew's Gospel, um, where Jesus will say to those who believe in him, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master. Let's pray and ask God to do this work in us.
that we might build our lives upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your sovereign power that enables you to work all things according to your will. We thank you for your promise to us in Christ our King, the forgiveness of sin and eternal life through faith in him, and for your promise to build his kingdom. Father, we pray, help us to build our lives upon Jesus, to align our hearts with his, so we might grow in obedience to your will and always trusting that you will do all that you have promised to do. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.